Hello and welcome to the Rethink Energy podcast. I'm Simon Thompson. I'm joined today by Peter White. Hi. Uh, Harry Morgan. You can't speak. Harry and Andres Wantinar. Yeah, and Peter, um, can, I start, can we start with um, the UK energy strategy? It was released this week and um, you wrote a piece about it. So no, not, not too many surprises. We've been um, sticking doggedly. The current Conservative government in the UK has been sticking doggedly to this idea. It can get Build, the, build Back Greener. Was, build was Back the, Greener. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's, uh, the, the, they haven't really deviated from the, the, the idea that you, you can get a third of your energy from renewables, a third from nuclear and a third from gas. And, and that's still, I mean, although that those items weren't really um, listed in that way, you know, we're looking for any change. Well, the very first thing that, that they, they'd already leaked was this idea that they're going to commission another uh, existing nuclear design. So probably a three or four gigawatt large reactor which is one of those designed in the 50s and 60s which cost which always end up 10 years late and always end up costing twice as much and we know that, that they're building one where the energy is is signed up at uh, something like 93 pounds per megawatt hour rising with inflation so uh, that, that's going to be the most expensive electricity uh, in europe and so so that's uh, the Prime Minister sticking to his strategy of uh, producing cheap electricity by making it the most expensive in Europe. The, you know, so that, that one that one was a, is a slam dunk. I mean, we know that they're going to um, buy small reactors uh, and we know that Rolls-Royce's favourite as a, as an, as a, a UK company to supply those. But it's, it's the paucity of funding, you know, 120 million future nuclear enabling fund. And that, that's all there is for encouraging SMRs. Um, that we've already got this 40 gigawatt of um, wind um, factored in. Uh, the government slightly tweaked um, the amount of, of wind upwards uh, in an earlier uh, announcement. So, uh, and all they've said is at least one gigawatt of that will be floating wind by 2030. None of it very exciting or new. Yeah, it's just it's just quite disappointing. Um, one of the largest budgets is for R&D, for carbon capture. There's mention of uh, energy storage, but no detail, uh, really. There's, there's a previous initiative that it harks back to. There's meant to be a lot more funding in here, but it's very hard to untangle how much there really is that's new. Um, most of it is about stimulating funding from from industry, not just by matching it, but by just, just putting in some government money to make the projects more more profitable. There was a whole separate paper on heat and buildings, but this was six, nearly 600 pages to read. And all I've done so far is to skim these policies. Um, heat and buildings is really confused. Um, we've, we, we've got a, a huge government initiative into hydrogen, good. It doesn't distinguish between green and blue hydrogen, bad. It wants the hydrogen industry to have a chance to um, sort its life out and, and get hydrogen pricing down uh, for 10 years. Um, but that means it, while it's got a policy on heat, which is to use heat pumps for now, it's sort of saying, oh, but we might switch the uh, mains gas network to hydrogen at some point in the future. So watch this space, but we won't know until 2026. So, you know, it's it's a very um, do nothing. 
nothing policy encourage nothing you you say it's very much like the the uk government is sitting on the fence uh, how does it compare to other other governments have been also releasing their energy policies like france germany us um harry how how does it how does the uk's government uh, policy compare to others um yeah so i mean this strategy that came out this week while it obviously as peter pointed out it's got a lot of holes in it, it probably is one of the most comprehensive strategies we've seen in terms of a whole economy shifting towards net zero i think there's there's a lot of initiatives in there that are among the leading in terms of um certain industries and how they're going to reach net zero but that's not to say that they're still good enough i think that um if we look around europe for example especially if you look like spain um france for example there's a lot more focus on green hydrogen rather than blue hydrogen and then if you look over, and, and there's much less focus on carbon capture. I think in terms of the, um, when you look at the UK, what you really see is, yeah, we're trying to keep things like blue hydrogen alive, things like carbon capture. And if you look at the other countries that are doing that, uh, you've got the US and you've got um, countries in the Middle East, it's very much these countries that have got natural gas reserves um, and very much trying to keep those natural gas industries alive. I think the timing of the UK strategy is really interesting if you look at also the, the UN leaked documents this week. Um, and looking at how countries like the UK, Japan, Australia, Saudi Arabia are all have all been sort of lobbying to the UN to try and get them to water down what they're asking for in terms of these countries they're shifting towards net zero. And I think that's yeah. in the past been used to try and use natural gas as a transition fuel. And I think now this new era of greenwashing is very much focused on trying to lobby for carbon capture um, as a way of continuing with uh, a natural gas industry. Yeah. Actually, this week in the background, there's been loads of carbon capture initiatives, all of them small, all of them companies getting together with a promise of at least one contract. And there's been a forecast on carbon capture, but it's in the low billions. It's very half-hearted because everyone knows, everyone is abundantly clear, including the oil companies, and they do know this, that you can't make it economic um, in most industries. You certainly can't make it economic turning natural gas into hydrogen. You just can't. And, and actually, Harry has written a piece on on those economics and how that's changed with the current cost of gas this week. And that's a really good analysis. I really enjoyed reading that. Um, but, um, there, you know, there might be some industries. You know, cement is, is a particular industry that where the chemical reaction actually produces CO2. You've got to do something about that. You've got, you've got to probably capture some of that and that that means a change to the process but not many industries lend themselves to doing carbon capture in a way that's cheap enough to sustain the core product yeah exactly i think i, I think i think literally this is a way of saying oh well we're gonna have carbon capture in 10 years so there's no point in us getting rid of our natural gas assets yet and i think that's what they do i mean it, what, what struck me about this was when governments ask industry they don't ask small companies who are startups because those haven't been around very long and they're innovative and new and they're running on new ideas. They ask big companies. So they ask oil companies in the main, well, what should we do? And what would you like as a Christmas present? Oh, I'd like some money to spend on carbon capture, please. And well, how will that help us? Oh, we'll, we'll, we'll produce some hydrogen for you. I mean, it's, it's the lack of imagination of the big companies um, why would governments listen to them? You know, it's because because they listen to industry and they, they want to do what they want. They don't know what they want. They don't know what their best path forward is. 
So um, that's that's how you end up like this. All of these things would be affected by a carbon border tax. Um, and you've been writing about that this week, Harry. Yes, I've been writing about it. Um, we're obviously a massive proponent of carbon border taxes here. Um, and I mean, this this week specifically, you were writing about the US, which notoriously doesn't have a, a carbon tax of any sort really implemented. Um, I, I think uh, California might have a voluntary market that it can um, that people can sort of opt in and out of. But we know that really for any change to happen, we're going to have to have carbon markets where people are punished for the amount of carbon that they're, they're emitting. What the news was this week is this sort of ongoing spat uh, within the uh, Democratic Party of the US sort of between Joe Biden as he tries to push through his infrastructure bill with um, Joe Manchin, who's a senator in West Virginia, who is sort of questioning elements of how funds are going to be raised to actually fund it. So what Manchin specifically is rejecting is the clean energy payment program, which is one of probably the most sweeping parts of legislation within that that will help shift the utilities in the US to to net zero. So essentially it will reward utilities that will sort of go above and beyond their renewable energy quotas and it will punish those that don't. Manchin, who is in a very coal heavy state, in fact his family uh, actually own a coal brokerage. Um, in they, Virginia. They, um, Which paid half a million dollars last year. Yeah, I mean he, he obviously doesn't, he wants to, he doesn't want to see these utilities punished. So that's that's essentially what's happening is he's rejecting that. And because obviously the US Senate so split um, and the US government are going to have to use reconciliation to get the $3.5 trillion infrastructure spend through, um, he's sort of throwing a bit of a tantrum and currently it's looking like the Clean Energy Payment Programme could be scrapped. I mean, ahead of COP26, this is a, it, it's a sort of a double-edged sword, really, because not only does it mean that the US is not going to have the money to spend on renewable energy, it's also going to look like it's doing nothing to do with renewable energy, which um, is... No, I don't think they'll scrap scrap the thing completely. I think, so he's saying we can't afford it, America can't afford it. And he, he didn't speak up when America, you know, went to war last, saying we can't afford it and special funds were voted. He didn't, he doesn't, hasn't spoken up... Uh, for the pandemic relief fund, you know, saying we can't afford it. It's only when it comes to fossil fuels that he suddenly got this conscience about how much the America America can afford. Um, it's completely a fake, but he does hold uh, a big ace um, in that uh, if if they don't vote 50-50 in the Senate, they can't get any laws through. So he's you know he. he He's currently in a pivotal position right now, and he's using that to his advantage. But what you do is you ask him, well, what can I give you for your state? Well, you know, that's how the horse trading works in America. What can I give you that's going to keep you comfortable with your voters? OK, I'll give you that and this. Now you vote for it. Or I'll knock a bit off. Now you vote for it. And and that horse trading happens. If you go too far, if you play your hand too far, you just excommunicate. Right, you've screwed up a great piece of legislation. You, your state's getting nothing from now on in, and you're persona non grata, and we we don't want you. So yeah, they have to be careful. And I believe that Biden's a good enough statesman to pull this off in the coming days to get some level of agreement with with, uh, with him. Yeah, and I think the the. The thing that we're hoping really to see is that a carbon tax is something that Biden proposes to make it sort of a, a more of a fundable uh, opportunity, this infrastructure bill. Um, and obviously, again, this would also boost the US's clout ahead of COP26. There's a lot of arguments against that. Obviously, premium prices will rise to consumers. The way the US is going to try and get around that is to 
um, from the carbon uh, tax actually have a payout to uh, sort of low and medium income families. Uh, it will also need a border tax to stop sort of carbon leakage, so companies that are heavy emitters in the US moving abroad. But the the US will hopefully just implement a carbon border tax like the one we've seen from the uh, proposed by the EU. And I mean, we've not seen the US slow to tariff uh, other countries in the past. So I, I imagine that's something that will be implemented alongside any sort of domestic. Um, and they were talking tax. about they're talking about introducing border carbon tax before they've got a carbon tax. I know. Yeah. <laughs> Say well, comparatively, if you're comparatively dirty compared to American industry, you have to pay the tax. That that they haven't. You know, I think we're early days, and I don't know if it will um, become legislation in the first term of uh, of a Democrat um, uh, party control, but it's certainly getting closer to the point where. It, it solves all the parts of the puzzle. It brings them all together. If you can get this one piece of legislation through on the right terms, it could solve everything globally. I mean, because, you know, I think your article points out, Harry, once you've done it at home, you can force everybody else to comply. Once you get Bolsonaro in Brazil to comply, once you get Mexico to comply, next thing you know, the whole world's under trading pressure. I can't trade with with China. Europe or America, unless I make my industry cleaner, and if if I do, I'm going to get punished with tariffs. So, I mean, that's why a carbon border tax is such a good idea. Um, as soon as America brings it in, it, it it's going to massively change um, renewable energy overnight. Yeah, definitely. I mean, global um, the U.S. exports um, and imports account for three percent of global GDP. So, I mean, that's suddenly a big chunk of business for for a lot of companies. So I think it will really pressure, it will pressure countries or pressure businesses. I think it's probably the big thing missing in global decarbonisation policy at the moment. Uh, I mean, they're talking about introducing it at levels of sort of 15 to 18 dollars per tonne, which I mean, it's lower than the EU, it's slightly higher than China, but it's still pretty significant um, and it will have huge impacts on the natural gas community, huge impacts on, I mean, almost devastating impacts on the coal community, which is obviously what we need. And it will really build on the fact that, I mean, it's only 22% of global emissions that are covered by taxes now. So it's it's something that we really do need to see uh, and it will really reduce the costs of shifting towards a net zero economy. Yeah, I mean, but I'm sure whatever position America takes, whether it's, it proposes that legislation and, and still hasn't got it through or whether it actually puts this 3.5 trillion uh, funding through it's not really going to change much between now and uh, cop 26 it's it's going to move to a position where they can announce something i'm sure but it won't really be real until sometime later yeah it sounds it sounds pretty hard to get past mansion because west virginia i was looking at it's a very republican state actually so he kind of has to vote like a republican to stay in power yeah it's true it's true i mean voters they're not all cynical cynically you know being paid for by the oil industry some of them literally say if i want to stay in power and get this vote next time i have to do what my constituency you know expects. i almost can't believe it but he's actually a democrat senator elected in a place that voted for trump by 39 points i think or something in in 2020 but yeah so so probably the best they can do is, is say we're trying to pass a carbon tax, get it into the new cycle. So even if it doesn't get passed, at least it's at least they can show they're trying to pass it for COP26. Yeah, well, I don't I don't see us getting even that far. I think I think you might get some kind of agreement with Manchin uh, to announce 
before the COP26. You know, that, you know he's, he's done a deal on this spending. But I mean, it is it is nonsense, this idea of um, uh, we can't afford it. If you've got a fiat currency, you can just print the money. And um, that's what they do for wars. I don't see why they shouldn't do it for the renewable energy. Let's turn to energy technology for for a minute. And uh, Andres, you've written an article this week about concentrated solar power in China. What's going on there? Well, it, it wasn't just China, actually. It was the West as well. I, I saw so okay. many little different stories, but uh, partly it was just these desert complexes that I, we described last week. I didn't really go into much detail on the, on the CSP. I took another look and it. I, I think it basically vindicates my CSP forecast because I think there's now two gigawatts or so that's being that's going to be developed in China from these projects by uh, 2023, which is which is what I expected. And that that has big knock on effects for the rest of the world, because it means all of these CSP developers in China are then going to have more efficient products for the rest of the world because they, they have more experience and they have more scale. Um, and they're already active in all these uh, Middle Eastern countries and Chile and, and so on. Um, but there were also something like four or five different um, announcements in, in the West with um, Generation 3 and experimental designs. I mean, there's Raygen getting more funding from Equinor. You've got Heliogen getting an agreement from Woodside to build a five megawatt pilot project. Heliogen's the one with the, with the thousand degree technology. Um, there's the DOE awarding $33 million to, to CSP in, in research grants. Just loads and loads of stuff going on. Uh, there's another company uh, sort of filling out the supply chain for this ceramic-based CSP. They're, they're trying to make a recycled particle product. I just saw so much stuff going on this week for it. And actually, in, in, uh, in a Chile auction, they, they had this offer of, of $39, uh, $34 per megawatt hour, which is incredibly low. And that's That's been the problem for CSP is it's been too expensive. And they've just cut the cost immensely. It actually didn't win, but that's just because the... Chilean, Chilean auction um, was too lax in its energy storage requirements. So the, the photovoltaic competitors outbid them just by saying, oh, yeah, we'll definitely have some batteries. Yeah, I'm starting to uh, agree with your forecast as well. I, I think the, um, uh, China is definitely the uh, country that can make use of um, CSP uh, and, and lead and, and pioneer rather than the states. As you pointed out in this article, they they tend to cluster them all together. We'll have a bit of wind, we'll have a bit of solar, we'll have a bit of CSP all together in one project, and they will the energy will move from from one to the other. I forgot this. to say they're they're called outward transmission based projects, and they they have 15 ma- massive transmission line projects from the north to the south in China planned for the next five years. Uh, Sorry to interrupt. No, no, but that's not. But that's just the transmission. You, you, but you're saying at the end of that, they've got these combinations of resources. Yeah, exactly. CSP. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's it, it's a good strategy, and especially um, in the north, where you can use any spare heat um, that you're that that um, you can no longer store in the CSP. You could. Um, you can use it in the district heat systems, which are already existent there. 